Uh, well, let me add my own welcome to you uh, tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. I know there's lots of bits of paper flying around, but inside your handout there should have been a little sheet like this, which has just got a kind of outline uh, for the talk um, that might be very helpful to you, so if you keep that in front of you. I suppose we should agree at the start that we have some limitations tonight. Uh, limitations in approaching this topic in a one-hour meeting with a 25-minute talk. But you'll have gathered, especially if you've been invited by Christian friends, uh, we do think uh, that the Christian message makes sense of life. Even when life forces us to think about topics like assisted dying. Let me say at the start, if if we don't answer your particular questions tonight, please don't imagine that we're trying to sidestep them. We'd love to to talk with you after and listen to you. It's just uh, the limitation of time. Uh, But with recognised limitations, we've got to start somewhere. And I guess for all of us, we start with some tough questions. Uh, Do you know when it's the right time to die? Do you know when it's the right time to end someone's life or, or to kill them? A parliament is taking first steps towards a new framework for answering that question. So at the moment, legislation is making its way through the House of Lords, uh, proposed by Lord Joffrey. Uh, the introduction to the bills on your handouts, uh, a bill to enable an adult who has capacity and who is suffering unbearably as a result of a terminal illness to receive medical assistance to die at his own considered and persistent request. And now we need to be clear, at the moment, as we've already heard tonight, ill people can refuse treatment. Uh, And no one's saying we must indefinitely keep people alive. Uh, And people can receive pain relief that may, as a double effect, shorten life. Uh, But this bill is is something different. This is physician-assisted death, or physician-assisted suicide, depending on how you want to present it. It's delivering something only intended to end life. And when we say these are first steps, for some that is the intention. Lord Joffe, as I understand it, wants this to be a step on the way to a fuller acceptance of euthanasia. See, debates are taking place. Opinions are being formed. Decisions will have significant effect. So for all of us, we must consider this issue. I guess it's stating the obvious to say this is emotive. Now, what's more emotional than the end of a loved one's life? Uh, However we approach it, we must deal gently with people. Uh, Even so, we do do need to think carefully. And I find that, as I've been thinking about this whole subject, I find it's hard to do uh, for a number of reasons. Well, language is loaded. Dying. Killing. Suicide. Euthanasia. Unbearable suffering. Dignity, burden. Are they all emotive words? Earlier this year, the Voluntary Euthanasia Society changed their name to Dignity in Dying. Now, whatever you think of them, we must see in the name change an attempt to persuade us of something. A euthanasia provides a dignified death. Is that right? Uh, and then there's confusing information. I mean, what are doctors doing? On Radio 4's Beyond Belief this week, the presenter said this, uh, Lord Joffe is simply trying to rationalise something that is happening throughout the country. We know that throughout our country, terminally ill people are helped on their way by doctors, certainly every week, probably every day. Is that true? 
And even if it is, do we deal with it by legalising it? But then I read, a research done by Brunel University at the start of the year reveals that doctors are not acting this way. And that the majority don't feel Lord Joffrey's bill would better facilitate the management of patients. Are we in danger of making decisions based on spin? And then there are very painful stories. Heather Pratton, her son diagnosed with Huntingdon's disease. Her life must have looked very frightening. He invited her for dinner. I told her he'd obtained enough heroin to kill himself. I wanted his mum to stay with him while he committed suicide. He's a fiercely independent man, she said, and didn't want to depend on others, so he chose to end his life. The heroine didn't act in time. Mrs. Pratton, concerned he might be found and resuscitated against his wishes, had put a pillow over his face. She decided it was the compassionate thing to do. Was she right? Does it matter? Do we know when it's the right time to die? Should we decide when it's the right time to die? And do hard cases make for good laws? I take Jean-Dominique Bobby, he was mentioned in the PowerPoint, former editor-in-chief of Elle magazine in France. December 95, his brainstem was rendered inactive. The only muscle he could move was his left eyelid. Life must have seemed very frightening. If you come across that book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, that's the book he wrote. He dictated it by blinking his eye. Is that not astounding? Inspiring? Or was it right for him to remain alive? How do we make sense of it all? As I've been thinking this through, I think two of the big issues that underpin the debate currently are are the issues of dignity and autonomy, or self-determination. And what gives us dignity? Does suffering the indignity of a failing body really rob us of a fundamental dignity? That certainly was the feeling of Dr. Anne Turner. I don't know if you saw in the news a while ago, she travelled to the Dignitas Clinic in Switzerland to end her life a couple of months ago. To die with dignity should be everyone's right, she said. Is her assumption correct? To endure pain at the end of life is to lose your dignity. One reporter said at the time of her death, there must be more to human dignity than dying quietly at home. And what about autonomy? Do we have the right to determine our own life and death? See, as you approach this, behind the loaded language and the heart-wrenching stories, we are being asked to agree something. Asked to agree something about what it means to be human. To adopt a framework that will either say, a life that is painful has lost its dignity and can be, even should be, ended. Or, a life, even a painful one, must be respected and cared for. But we're not at liberty to intentionally end it. I'm convinced that the Bible's message is that we must not intentionally end the life of the terminally ill. I don't know if you saw the film Million Dollar Baby, Clint Eastwood's Oscar winning film from the other year. I watched it, I loved it, I found it very moving. But in it, Maggie, a boxer, is paralysed from the neck down. She asks Frank, her trainer played by Eastwood, 
to end her life. Frank's a Catholic. He wants to help, but his conscience is troubled. He, he goes to see his priest looking for answers. And they sit in a dark, empty church building. Frank being told he can't do it. And there's nothing more to say. Now the film seems to suggest only two options. Help Maggie die or condemn her to unbearable suffering. Uh, And the implication is that God has nothing helpful or compassionate to say and he leaves us fumbling in the dark for answers. Now that's not the God of the Bible who has spoken and is compassionate and will shine light on our darkest fears to help us make sense of our humanity. And God tells us about ourselves in the opening chapter of the Bible. So if you've got your hand out, please turn over onto the reverse side of it. Here's the first thing to to see from the Bible. is this, that human dignity is real. But human dignity is God-given and shared. See, in the reading that we we had, the Creator pauses in his activity and he discusses his next project, his people, uh, you and me. We will be made in God's image. Our purpose is to reflect what God's like. See, in kind of the same way that God lovingly rules and orders the universe, people, you and me, are to rule and order the earth. And we're responsible under God. And when we ask the question, what gives us dignity? And the Bible responds, don't you know? Don't you realize your significance? You were made in the image of your creator. See, if that's true, how could we be anything but appalled by the words of Jacques Attali, the the former president of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development? As soon as he gets to 65 years of age, man lives beyond his capacity to produce. And he costs society a lot of money. Euthanasia will be one of the essential instruments of our future societies. It's funny, isn't it, the way we determine uh, our value, uh, the value and dignity of ourselves and of others, economic value, ability to produce. Oregon is the only state in the United States to have physician-assisted suicide. Uh, People are asked by the state why they want to end their lives. There's a number of reasons. Uh, Fear of the future. Uh, Loss of independence. No one is denying that terminal illness is anything other than frightening. But a third of the people who were asked, uh, who ended their lives this way, asked why, uh, a third of them said a contributing factor is not wanting to be a burden. Is that how we measure our value? How we estimate if we still have dignity? That we're not a burden? Is that right? Are you not worth looking after? Isn't it strange that the Bible says right at the start, you have a dignity and value in just being you. Because you were made to be like your creator. It's a dignity that is given and shared by all people. And I want to say that because it's given, that also limits our autonomy. God gives us life and dignity. 
Therefore, it's not for us to decide who has a fundamental dignity. We're simply to acknowledge it in each other. And it's not for us to choose to end a life that has been given by God for his own purpose. Well, even if God made us, what about human suffering? Does the Bible make sense of that? I think the Bible says human suffering is our shared responsibility. Now, how do we think about the elderly relative with dementia? Uh, the loving husband with motor neuron disease. I, am I just to think bad luck? In life's lottery, you've ended up with the wrong numbers. Now, the story of Genesis may involve individuals, but it addresses all of us. See, the Bible says we share in the folly of Adam and Eve. It was the second part of the reading. Humanity disobeys God. We have God-given dignity, so it's no surprise that our actions have consequences. Because you disobeyed, there is a curse. And we heard these words read out. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And now you may think the weight of the curse is harsh, but if it's true, you must see the logic of it. It does make sense. Life comes from God. We reject Him. Is it any wonder that God-given life starts to unravel? Is there any surprise to see bodies revert back to dust? But I think the Bible wants us to see that individual suffering is meant to remind us of our shared responsibility. We're all to blame. We've all lived in God's world rejecting him. The Bible's message is that has consequences. We face God's judgment. People become ill and die. And when this life is over, we'll find ourselves at odds with God eternally. People still have dignity in this life. We can't just take God's place and choose to end it. And what we're meant to do is to take God seriously. And because suffering is humanity's shared responsibility, we must care for those who are suffering. And allow ourselves to be cared for too. And we're not to intentionally end the life of the terminally ill. We are to take responsibility in caring for them. Dame Cicely Saunders knew that as she founded the modern hospice movement which has helped to advance palliative care. In almost every case, pain at the end of life can be managed. It started by one lady. I read her obituary. It says she founded the movement on the Christian belief that no human life should be denied dignity and love. The human suffering is our shared responsibility. Now, we could think, well, that's all very well. It might even seem to describe life as we see it. It might even seem to make sense of life, but it's still rather bleak. Humanity odds with God, who will judge us eternally, limping towards death without him. It's just that the Bible won't stop there. See, not only does the Bible claim to make sense of life, it is confident that it carries a message of transforming good news. Uh, Just about the oddest line in the Bible comes in Genesis 3, verse 20. We we read it earlier. It's on on your sheet. It's this. Adam named his wife Eve. 
and because she would become the mother of all the living. That's an odd verse. But God has just said, you're going to die. So Adam calls his wife living. Uh, stranger than that is the next line. See, we see God caring for these terminally ill people. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It's the Bible's way of saying it's not the end of the story. Others hope to come. And from this point, the Bible looks forward to a double cure. Restored to God and restored to life. See, human hope, as far as the Bible's concerned, is not to be put out of our misery. Human hope is God-given new life. See, much later in the Bible we read another story. It's printed on your sheets. It's this. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus, the Bible says, is God. He enters human existence. And what's he up to? Well, this incident starts to show us. Here's a man robbed of quality of life. A disease that he died from, living separated from loved ones. And did you notice what was odd about his request? Uh, This is what he says to Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me. If you're willing, you can cure me. He says, you can make me clean. That might be odd to us, but a first century Jew would know what was being said. Uh, the language of clean and unclean that carried the idea of being acceptable to God uh, being right with him but this man's not just asking will you cure me physically he's saying will you provide the double cure will you make me right with God again do you ever wonder about God's response to our suffering Well, we see it here. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. You see, I have many concerns about assisted dying. The effect it will have on vulnerable people at the end of life. But fundamentally, as a Christian, in light of the Bible, I think it is flawed. It tries to offer a solution without diagnosing the problem. See, for many people, assisted dying sends them out of this life convinced there is nothing more to come. It is essentially hopeless. It doesn't even pretend to improve your situation. The Bible says God is compassionate. He is willing to meet our big need, our guilt in rejecting him, the death sentence that we all carry. Has he done that? Well, if you were to read on in the Bible story, you'd see that Jesus, God himself, picks up our death sentence. He carries the burden of it as he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. 
See, the message of the Bible is it's life for life. Healthy for terminally ill, innocent for guilty, Jesus for you and for me. Restoring us to a right relationship with the God who gives life. And so that when this life is over, we will not find ourselves at at odds with God who must judge. We'll experience instead his transforming new life. And the message of the Bible is that just like this man in the story, you can meet Jesus for yourself today. Oh, time is gone. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, There are going to be some people around after if you'd like to talk uh, further about this. And as Jason mentioned, uh, there's going to be drinks over in the church centre. If you could stay and join us, uh, that would be great. Uh, But you might be thinking, well, where do I go from here? Uh, Let me suggest some first steps for you. In this whole topic of assisted dying... I've been reading about it over the past few weeks. Can I say, you really need to make first steps in thinking that through. Laws will be passed. It will shape the culture of care in our country and mould a view of the value of human life. It is no small thing. We have to face up to our responsibility to care for the ill and the dying. There are tough questions to be asked and answered. But even more importantly, can I encourage you to make first steps in thinking about Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I am convinced that life only makes sense when we know him. Uh, you may want to come back to us on that. You may want to ask questions. That's fine. But can I, I make a suggestion? We're going to be running a little discussion course at the beginning of May. It's called Open to Question. If you were to come along, we'll, we'll look together at who Jesus is in more depth. There will be lots of time to ask questions. You won't be put uh, under any pressure. But like anything in life, sound bites and spin won't do. You really need to look at the evidence. We've got cards around, and I've not got one up here. There's little blue cards around, um, uh, around that you can fill in contact details. If you even think you might be interested, please fill it in and we'll email you. If you change your mind between now and then, you don't need to come, but at least you'll have the information. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Jane Patterson, one of the members of our church family, uh, is going to come and just end this particular part of the service with a short time of prayer.